plus Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Our subject this evening is a favorite one for many of us. We're going to be talking about ourselves, who we are and why we are here. Last week, we saw God spoke the arena of human existence into being. And this week, he places us into it. He initiates and articulates Project Humanity. And firstly, we're going to see that in Genesis 1, as originally defined, Project Humanity is about representative rule for the glory of God. Now, we know there's something special coming as we started our reading, because there's a departure from the usual formula in verse 26. Instead of saying, let there or let thee, we get let us. There is a hint that God is even more intimately involved with this stage of creation. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. Now, I stupidly let slip at our service planning meeting about our time together today that I was going to use a very handy Bible study tool to help me out with this phrase, the skip over it tool, to deal with the plural verb here. But sadly, they wouldn't let me get away with it. Uh, I've come across about 10 explanations for what let us means, but I haven't found any of them that convincing. There does seem to be a suggestion of divine plurality, which will be reflected in humanity. But I'm not sure what Moses would have understood by that. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of weight put on it here. The danger is we overly speculate and inappropriately bring things in from the rest of the Bible or elsewhere that Moses wouldn't be familiar with. The question is, what did Moses understand himself to be writing? If you have a clear idea, that isn't just random speculation, uh, please do chat to me about it afterwards. But fortunately, the big thing God has to say is clear. He is making representatives of himself. Verse 26, again, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Image and likeness appear to be in opposition here. That is, they are essentially speaking about the same thing. When Moses restates what God is doing in verse 27, he is content to use the word image only. 
And what being made in the image of God entails is stated in the next sentence under the headline of dominion. And it's expanded on in verse 28. It is primarily concerned with our task. Verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Dominion is a word to do with ruling. Man is to image God in the way they rule creation. As they are made in his image and likeness, they are to represent and resemble him in their ruling. So just as we've seen in verses 1 to 25, God forming and filling for good on a cosmic scale, humanity is to imitate God by forming and filling, making and multiplying in the arena God has made. Or to put it another way, being made in the image of God means we are to be engaged in imaging God. We are to communicate what the creator is like to his creation. We are to be emissaries or ambassadors of God to the world. Unlike the fake deities of the ancient world or the fascist despots of modernity, God does not spread his image around his kingdom with lifeless statues or with airbrushed portraits like Egyptian pharaohs or Joseph Stalin, but through living, breathing creatures who represent him. They are to be microcosms of godlike activity. They are to give visible form to the invisible attributes of God. In other words, they're to make God known, to bring him glory, to spread his reputation and honor throughout the whole world. Last week, we did see that it is the case that creation on its own communicates something of God. So considering the world around us, we can clearly see that God's eternal power and his divine nature. But to really get to know God, to get to know him personally, to know what he's like, if I can put it like that, we need his ambassadors. We need his image bearers. I'm told if you walk onto a US army base anywhere around the world, a little snippet of what America is like. Um, there's countless flags and always a McDonald's. Just from the physical makeup of the place, you can get an impression of America. But to really get to know what America is like, in all its diversity and complexity and splendor, you do much better to watch and listen to and speak to an American. And to really get to know God in Genesis 1, God does not only give us a physical place, but also his ambassadors. Now, God is not just content with a small enclave of the world to know him and to display his glory. Verse 28 tells us he wants the whole earth to know him. And that will be very difficult without quite a lot of image bearers. So crucially, to fulfill the role of image bearers is to be made male and female. As to be imaging God adequately, to achieve the goals of Project Humanity, we need to fill the earth with ambassadors. So in verse 26, we see that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The great ambassadorial task cannot happen without filling. And you can't go about filling without women and men. With many babies comes many emissaries. And with many emissaries comes much spreading of the knowledge of God. 
Now, to be really tight with how we talk about what's going on here, we could stick to the language of imaging or spreading God's image. But the trajectory of this activity is described by later Bible writers, um, like Isaiah and Habakkuk, as follows. They say things like, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the glory of God, as the waters cover the sea. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, as the waters cover the sea. Under man's representative rule, the whole earth is to display the knowledge of God. You might be familiar with the football chant, glory, glory, Man United. And back in the late 1990s, when that chant had a semblance of truth, it, refle- sorry. <laughs> it reflected that the, in the arena of football, Man United deserved honour and renown. The way that Neville and Scholes and Beckham carved up teams uh, was something to behold. It reflected on the team and brought footballing glory to them. While in the arena of creation, the way humanity was meant to rule and the way we're meant to rule the world is meant to reflect on our creator and to bring glory to him. That is project humanity. Now, I think it's worth pausing here just for a few initial implications of this. The first is relationship. And we see that in our verses. So far in Genesis 1, God has spoken creation and the creatures into existence. And God has blessed his creatures in verse 22. But there's a subtle difference in verse 28. I wonder if you can notice it. In blessing humanity, God spoke to them. He communicated with them. Actually, as you might expect, he relates to his image bearers differently to the rest of his creation. The dominion and subduing is not autonomous rule, doing whatever we like, but representative rule under our commanding officer. To rule like God, you need to be in a relationship with him. You need to know him. The second implication is responsibility. We are placed on earth to fulfill a role. Compared to other creatures, we were made to represent God. And depending on how cultured you are, you might know this quote from Voltaire or from Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. And that is that with great power comes great responsibility. The capacities and abilities we have been created with are not so that we can make a name for ourselves, but that we can make a name for God who made us in his image. What is the responsibility you were made with? What sets you apart from the animals? You were created to know God and to make him known. Third, um, respect. A number of years ago, I found myself, uh, unknowingly to me, well, I did know, but I didn't know he was going to be there, at a dinner with the Norwegian ambassador. And with my ingenious and original conversation, I asked him how he found being the Norwegian ambassador. And he explained it as a pretty good gig. Uh, It's five years living on billionaire's row in London with a personal car and chauffeur, among many other amenities. And on top of that, he said, the British government is very nice to him and always treats him with a great deal of respect. Because at the time, he said, Norway provided 80% of the UK's oil and gas supply. Well, when you meet another human being, no matter who they are, you're meeting someone created to be an ambassador of someone who provides all the oil and gas in the world and much else besides. Young, old, man, woman, black, white, rich, poor. Mistreatment of anyone made in God's image is a grave offense to him. 
being made in God's image means that every human being has intrinsic, incalculable value to God. It means you have intrinsic, incalculable value to God. Now, there are many important implications we can draw just from this small point, um, which I wish we had time for. I'm just going to comment on one aspect that I think sets Christianity apart, which is explicitly mentioned in these verses. And that is male and female, men and women, are both created in the image of God. Last week, the radical feminist Julie Bindle gave an interview in which she made this statement. The only thing that unites women is fear of male violence. The only thing that unites women is fear of male violence. Now, I think that's a pretty sad thing to say, and I don't think it's true. I wonder if you're a woman here, you might think that other things unite you as well. But there is a grain of truth behind it, isn't there? After humanity's rebellion at the fall, Moses says that rather being filled with the knowledge of God, the world has been filled with violence. And down the ages, across the world, that has been partly expressed in the impression of women. Now, outside of the Bible, other ancient societies imagine that the gods are just like them. And that is reflected in how they account for the creation of women. So in a Greek creation account, for example, and it goes something like this, well, it goes like this. The gods did not want men to have fire, but they, the god Prometheus stole fire and gave it to man. But Zeus was very unhappy about this. So Zeus got the other gods together and he came up with a plan. He said, I will give man, I will give man as the price for fire, an evil thing in which they may all be glad of heart when they embrace it to their own destruction. Then it goes on to explain how the gods combine a sweet shape with a shameless and deceitful nature. They make women as an evil gift to man to embrace to his destruction. Now that's quite a pathetic, projected human account of creation, trying to make sense of the world around them. Imagining the gods are as corrupt as we are. But the one true God of the Bible is not corrupt like us. God's revelation tells us that men and women are made in the image of God and are equally dignified and valued by him. Now, it is the case that down the ages, people professing to be Christians have twisted and misused parts of the Bible to oppress women, for which they will face God in judgment. But if you look around the world and throughout history, or if I look around the world and down history, what sort of culture do I want my daughter to grow up in? One that has been significantly influenced by God's word or not? The writer Sharon James has observed it is only countries where the gospel has once had a significant hold, where you see ideals expressed and a modicum of success in the liberation of women. That stems from page one or page two in these Bibles, that men and women deserve to be equally respected and made in the image of God. Compare that to the ritual burning of widows in parts of India, the demographics of men and women in regions of China, or some of the news we've recently witnessed in Afghanistan. All people are worthy of respect because they're all made in the image of God. Now, we need to be careful in how we apply what it means to be imaging God now. A lot has changed since Genesis 1. Humanity rebelled against God, and our relationship with him was ruptured. Naturally now, we find ourselves as rogue ambassadors, still imprinted with God's image, but rather than employing our godlike qualities for God's glory, we do it for our own gain. 
On top of that, our rule over the Earth's inhabitants is restricted. We see that after the fall and the consequences of it, we've been recommissioned in a slightly different way, actually a substantially changed way, in Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. We are told there to be fruitful and multiply, but rather than subdue and have dominion, God says, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. So rather than good kings over wild animals of the world, humans are seen as an invading army. And crucially, the big difference between now and then as well is that physical creation is itself cursed and subject to frustration. Work under the sun of this world uh, is difficult. It becomes toil and temporary. It is sometimes grim and it never lasts. We cannot apply Genesis 1 directly to us today because we don't live in the same conditions today. The world has fundamentally changed. So we're going to consider what it looks like to be involved in Project Humanity today based on what the New Testament says to us. And the headline is this. Project Humanity is currently accomplished by knowing Jesus and making him known for the glory of God. Now, a very brief overview between Genesis 1 and the New Testament could go like this. After the failure of Project Humanity at the fall, God restarted his human project with a promise to Abraham. God would now achieve humanity's purposes through Abraham's offspring. There was a sort of false start with the historic nation of Israel. They were given God's law so they could be his people and represent and resemble him to the world. But they rebelled and failed to fulfill their commission to image God as they should. But in the New Testament, we see one man, one offspring of Abraham, who did manage to image God. And there's a shift in focus about the image of God and what it means to be imaging him. The focus now is on Jesus, who is the image of God. And imaging God is all about communicating Jesus. He perfectly represents and resembles what God is like to the world. So the key to spreading the knowledge of God now, the key to bringing glory to God now, is through knowing Jesus and making him known. So first, knowing Jesus. It is through knowing Jesus that we mend the marred image of God in us. Because getting to know Jesus, we conform ourselves more and more to his likeness. For example, the Apostle Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. As we behold the Lord Jesus, as we encounter him in his word and get to know him better, we become more like him. We look more like him. And the language of being fruitful and multiplying is also taken up in the New Testament with knowledge about Jesus. For example, Paul prays that the Colossian church would be filled with the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, will, filled with the knowledge of the Lord Jesus' will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing or multiplying in the knowledge of God. That is, as we understand Jesus more and his will, his concerns, his cares, what he values, we might live a more productive life in imaging him to the world. That happens day to day as we interact with those around us. There is a Christian way, 
a Jesus-like way to be a husband, to sacrificially put your wife above yourself in all things. There's a Christian way, a Jesus-like way, to be an accountant or a farmer, not to fiddle the expenses, not to mistreat the animals under your care, to honor your boss and to keep the terms of your contract, to try and do your work well. And as Christians, the way we we fulfill our different roles is to reflect on our creator. Not that we'll ever achieve perfection in this, but that we might progress in our Jesus-like way and we might make progress as we go about living our day-to-day lives. As we get to know Jesus better and conform to his image more, we display to the world a life that correlates with the knowledge of God. But that goes hand in hand with explicitly making Jesus known. As the world does not know Jesus, we can't image him adequately without telling people about him. And the more we get to grips with the will of Jesus anyway, uh, the more we really get to know him better, this will lead to an ever more unwavering commitment to making him known. See, the big thing that Paul is trying to get across to the Colossians, for example, is that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of all people, and that all people have complete access to the fullness of him. If we really grasp that, that Jesus wants uh, to be the Lord and Savior of all people, he wants to give everything that he has to all people, then we want to devoting our lives uh, to making Jesus known to all people. Knowing Jesus' will and seeking for Jesus to be known in the world are intimately connected because the will of Jesus is for the whole world uh, to know him. It is the whole logic of his life, if you think about why he came in the world and what he did. Or from the lips of Jesus himself, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Or Paul's summary of Jesus' mission in 1 Timothy Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. If we conform to the image of Jesus, we'll be most concerned with imaging him. If we know Jesus, we'll be most concerned with making him known. God's glory is not spread now as we cultivate an uncorrupted world, but as we seek to spread the word about Jesus in a corrupted world. As well as the word of God being used for fruitful uh, being sorry, as well as the word of God, bearing fruit and multiplying in the Colossians themselves, Paul says. He tells them that it's bearing fruit and multiplying in the world. Or if you were here last term, you might remember in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, we saw that the word of God continued to increase, be fruitful, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. We are fruitful and multiply as the word of God about Jesus goes out and more people follow him. Ambassadors are made as people are born again as Christians. So the knowledge of God spreads through the world uh, by the knowledge of Jesus. Personal knowledge of God is no longer uh, coming through our dominion, our ruling, but as people see and submit to the rule of the Lord Jesus through his word. Hopefully not to really uh, overlabor the point, but just so we're really clear. Um, We see what Jesus thinks is the main goal of the human project today, in his so-called great commission to his disciples. Jesus' great command to his disciples is this in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That is, to make disciples, to make imitators, to make image bearers of Jesus by baptizing 
making Jesus known to those who don't know him, and teaching, seeing them conform to be more like Jesus. That is the work of the human project in the world today, or God's human project in the world today. Now, there's one major error which I think is worth mentioning that really has the ability to distract us. It is an error that comes through trying to apply Genesis 1 without taking into account what's happened between now and then. Some people think that we still bring glory to God by purely seeking to cultivate this world to the best of our ability. For example, that as we make um, beautiful music or we're really successful fund managers, um, doing that in and of itself brings glory to God. And that comes, that idea comes, as we seek to apply the Old Testament in a way that is alien to the New Testament. When surprise, surprise, what Jesus does and what Jesus tells us to do is actually how to correctly fulfill and apply the Old Testament. Now, it's probably fair to say that Jesus was a carpenter for part of his life. But I think it's also fair to assume that the main purpose in his life wasn't making magnolia sideboards to reflect God's creativity. And Paul was a tent maker, but he didn't pioneer glamping or bring glory to God by being the inventor of the two-second tent. Now, to be clear, the New Testament isn't against those things or any good thing. It is absolutely crystal clear that God made good things for us to enjoy and to be thankful for. And some of us are in the privileged position of finding great enjoyment in our work and perhaps are very good at it as well. But cultivation in a corrupted world, that will come to an end. It is no longer the primary way um, that knowledge of God is spread. If we think that, we're millennia out of date. Imitating Jesus, conforming to his image, means giving yourself wholeheartedly uh, to the saving of the lost, not to our worldly employment. Absolutely, we can be employed as a musician or a fund manager or whatever we are as we seek to do that. But we mustn't kid ourselves into thinking that our worldly achievements or ambitions alone are fulfilling project humanity. And if we don't get this right, I think the big danger is we can be um, in danger of confusing our personal ambition with God's work. And what we're really doing is using the Bible as an excuse for chasing after our own glory and not God's. I was speaking about this with someone here a few weeks ago. Um, He's someone with a connection to what he called the Christian music and art scene. And this might sound harsh, but this is what he said. His reflection is that um, much so-called Christian art and music is pretty rubbish. And I wonder if that is because Christians can delude themselves to keep going in these fields beyond their ability, because by doing it, they think, they think they're doing it to maximize themselves and to glorify God. But why do Christians think that their art or music or fun managing or whatever it is, for that matter, will be any better than someone else's who is also made in the image of God? Jesus doesn't promise that for us or ask that of us. To accomplish God's original project humanity today means to be sitting under the word about Jesus and seeking to spread the word about Jesus. That is how God is imaged how the knowledge and glory of him can spread across the whole world today. What makes us human? It is that we are made in the image of God for relationship with him, with the responsibility of making him known, and an inviolable conviction to respect everyone made in his image.
Let me lead us in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for making us in your image and giving us great dignity and value. We are sorry we so often don't live up to it, but thank you that in Jesus we can still be part of your purposes and bring glory to you. Please keep us looking to Jesus in your word and transforming us more into his likeness, that our lives would be fruitful in bringing you glory. Amen.